0: It is great to have each of you this morning as we celebrate our Back to Church Sunday. I know that summer is a very busy time for most of us, and sometimes it does get hard to stay in routine when you've got all the extra stuff that's going on, whether we're talking about vacation or sporting events or many other things, but uh, so often it's easy to get disconnected. In addition, we've seen others who have been thrown off because of... Uh, various things, things like illness. I mentioned COVID a few minutes ago. Uh, There are some who, because of COVID, had to kind of separate from the church for just a little while just to protect everybody else. And while I do thank you for that, uh, it's hard sometimes to get back into routine once we have gotten out of it. I think some of the folks uh, uh, here, we've had individuals who have had babies uh, over the last several months. We've had uh, one individual who, their spouse's military deployment took place and because of that, additional responsibilities fell upon that spouse and uh, others who have lost loved ones. And it's so easy to lose your support system, uh, to step away and almost find yourself completely disconnected. But the truth is, we all need each other. I simply say this morning, welcome. You are in the right place today. And while some of you are coming out of the greatest seasons of your life, some of you are also coming out of one of the most difficult seasons of life. And in both cases, It is good for you to be here today. Maybe you're here because you need the support of others. Maybe you're here because you need to give support to others. Either way, thank you for being here as a part of our service today. Before I get into the message today, I do want to share two things, a word of encouragement with you. First, I celebrate your generosity to the ministry of this church Sometimes it feels like when we give, all we're doing is paying salaries or trying to pay the electric bill, which, as it stays hot, uh, it is really nice to have the electric bill paid. So, thank you for that. But your generosity also makes other things possible. Just over the f- past two weeks, for example, we have seen what can happen when God's people are generous. Last week we were able to host an event for the Clemson Police Department just expressing our appreciation to the officers for what they intentionally choose to deal with on a regular basis so that we don't have to deal with some of those things. We walked away from that event uh, knowing that they felt appreciated, and that was because you as a church, you have been generous. So thank you for making that possible. In addition, yesterday we hosted an event for military families who currently have individuals in their families on active deployment. Uh, That includes a couple of families from our church. They both attend our second service, but it was more than just for our people. Yesterday's event included a backpack giveaway with school supplies that were were collected by you. You're the ones who made that possible. We also had some inflatables and some food and different things like that. Thank you for enabling us as a church, to love on these families. So often you don't hear about all of the ministry that takes place, but there are some great things that are happening because of your generosity. I also want to take a moment and express my appreciation to those who helped out yesterday with our car wash. In preparation for an upcoming mission trip to Costa Rica, we hosted a car wash here at the church. And although there is still much, that needs to be raised. I celebrate the fact that we raised over $1,000 yesterday. As a youth pastor, I used to do car washes, and if you had 300 bucks that came in, you're thinking, man, that was a good day. Uh, I am so grateful for the generosity of people, and not all from the church. We had individuals who came by that were incredibly generous, and I cannot say thank you enough to them. We had one individual who uh, pulled into the parking lot and honestly pulled in with his big, huge dump truck. And I'm looking at that thinking, I wonder how much of that we're going to be able to get to. As he pulls up, he puts his window down and he said, don't worry, you don't have to clean it. I just wanted to give a donation. Never seen him before. Actually, I asked the individual, I said, so do you want to know what you're giving toward? And He said, I assume it's for something for the church. It's okay. I said, well, it is, so thank you very much. We had another individual not connected to the church who just pulled up and pulled out a $100 bill, said, I don't really need my car washed, but I felt like I needed to stop and be a blessing. So the Lord provided, and I simply say thank you. One more thing about the mission trip that's coming up. I wanna encourage each of you to begin to pray uh, for those who will be going. I know that our trip is still months away but I am asking you to pray for us all along the way. If you don't already have a prayer list, you need to start a prayer list so that you can remember each of the needs that are present. Just write down one or two or 20 things that you really wanna make sure that you pray for on a regular basis, and I encourage you to add the Costa Rica mission trip to that list. Pray that all the details of the trip will fall into place pray for all the money to be raised, pray for protection as we travel, pray that God will open up doors and that lives will be changed through our time in Costa Rica. Pray that our team can almost serve as catalysts for those who are serving in these international communities on a daily basis. And pray that even out of our group of about a dozen people, that perhaps God might call others to serve in a full-time ministry capacity, not just for a week at a time. Pray that God will do something far bigger than we could ever ask or imagine on our own. I encourage you, pray for us as we get ready to go. You know, I ask you to pray that God would do something far bigger than we could ever imagine on our own. And as I say that, I wonder if maybe God has big plans for you. I wonder if perhaps God has things planned for you that are bigger than you could have ever imagined. Maybe some of you are saying, well, maybe he did, but there's no way that that could happen now. I'm too old. I've made too many bad choices along the way. I've got too many responsibilities. God could use someone else far more likely than him being able to use me. Are you sure about that? The book of Genesis tells the story of a young man who had every reason to believe the exact same thing, yet God was able to accomplish far more in him than anyone could have ever imagined. Maybe God could do something similar through you. The individual that I'm talking about is a man named Joseph. And my guess is that most of you have heard the story of Joseph many, many times. We actually have two biblical stories of Joseph. One was an individual who became the husband of Mary. That's not the one we're talking about. Instead, the Joseph we're talking about, we are first introduced to him in Genesis chapter 37. And as we are introduced, he is really just a boy at least at that moment. He is the favorite son of his father, Jacob, also known as Israel. Jacob, let's be honest, was not the wisest of individuals, and he made some very foolish choices along the way. But he was a man who knew what he wanted. At times, he would kind of con people out of things. For example, his own brother, and at times others would con him. For example, Jacob came across a beautiful woman that he clearly loved. Her name is Rachel. Jacob says, I'd be willing to do anything to be able to marry this woman. Well, Rachel's dad says, okay, sure, you can marry my daughter, but it's gonna cost you. In fact, you'll need to work seven years to be able to earn her hand in marriage. Jacob thinks to himself, well that seems like a lot. Seven years for one woman, you know what, I'm willing to do it. And he agrees to seven years of labor. Actually, the scripture tells us there in Genesis that as he worked, it seemed like a very short time because he wanted so much to be able to be with Rachel. And at the end of the seven years, he gets married. But the wedding was unique back then. There are still those who wear veils at weddings often today. But the veil that was worn in Jacob's day was a thicker veil, and Jacob did not actually get to see the face of his bride that day. Can you imagine his surprise when he realized that the woman that he had just married was not Rachel, but rather her older sister, who apparently might have been just a little bit less attractive than Rachel. He didn't marry Rachel, he married Leah. Actually, what happened was their father played a little trick. He conned Jacob. Rachel's father, or, or, yes, Rachel's father would explain that their custom was for the oldest daughter to be married before the youngest daughter, and he would then agree to give Rachel's hand in marriage also, but it would cost him another seven years of hard labor. And so he agrees and finds himself married to not just Rachel, but now Rachel and Leah. Well, as the years would pass, there was no question as to whom Jacob loved most. He loved Rachel, but there was a problem. She could not bear children at least not in her early years. In fact, after many years, Jacob has fathered at least 11 children. We know that there were 10 sons and a daughter named Dinah, yet Rachel had not born any children, but then she did. Her firstborn son is the character that we're going to talk about this morning. He is a young man named Joseph. And just as Rachel was Jacob's favorite wife, Joseph would become Jacob's favorite son. And while that sounds like such a blessing, it may not have always been such a blessing. Can you imagine the hatred that Joseph's brothers would develop for him? They would always be compared to Joseph. Why can't you be more like your brother? They would always be fighting for second place when it came to their father, I can maybe be his second favorite son, but not his favorite son. To make matters worse, Joseph appears to not only be favored by his father, but he appears to be some type of a dreamer. One who foolishly shared his dreams, by the way, with his family. In fact, just to get a glimpse of what I'm talking about. Listen to Genesis 37, verse 5 to 8. It says, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. That means they hated him already. Now it got worse. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. In the verses that would follow, by the way, he shares about another dream with 11 stars and the sun and the moon all bowing down before him, suggesting that everyone, including mom and dad, would also one day bow Before Joseph. Can you imagine how this must have endeared him to his brothers? Actually, I'm being sarcastic. They hated him for this. One day, as all of these angry brothers, which by the way, they were not good guys, they had already committed murder, they had already done some really bad things along the way, these were not good guys. One day, dad says, Joseph, I want you to go out to the fields where your brothers are working and check on them. Well, they see Joseph the dreamer coming toward them, and they've had it with this favorite son who has dreams of ruling over them. So listen to Genesis 37, verse 18 to 20. They saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. That is very appropriate from these guys. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal has devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Now, I will tell you that they do decide not to kill Joseph. This would no doubt, in spite of them not killing Joseph, this would no doubt become the most traumatic event of his life, at least at that point. They would take him, this guy who has been favored, who has probably had things somewhat easy within the family, they would take him, they would strip him of his coat, and they would throw him into a pit. And who knows how long they would leave him in there crying out to his brothers to rescue him and maybe even wondering if he would survive the attacks of his brothers. Who knows how long they would wait before a better opportunity actually presented itself. Instead of killing him, these brothers would end up selling him as a slave who would be taken down to Egypt and likely mistreated, dying an early death. And even in what his brothers say, we see the dreams fading fast. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. I wonder if any of us have ever been in the pit, the cistern like Joseph. I wonder if any of us have ever felt betrayed by people who should have loved us. I wonder if any of us have ever felt as if our world was crashing in around us, or if we ever looked at the dream that God gave us only to realize that it suddenly seemed incredibly out of reach especially based on where we are today. I remember hearing many years ago that it's not the hardship that defines you, but rather the way you respond to hardship that simply reveals who you already are. I certainly get that, but there's another side to this as well. When you go through hardship, if you will not give up, a phrase that Jerry mentioned even in his announcements this morning, When you go through hardship, if you will not give up, if you will not allow it to defeat you, your hardship can become a great tool to prepare you for even greater things in the future. The statement that I put in my outline is the past doesn't define you. I know that y'all don't have it because, man, I had my notes together on Tuesday and forgot to send it to my mom. So that's why y'all don't have it. But the, the statement I have in my outline is the past doesn't define you it prepares you. To illustrate that, I want you to consider Joseph for just a moment. He could sulk in his sorrow. He could have whined to anyone who would have listened about the betrayal that had just taken place. He could have become angry and even vengeful, maybe even distrusting of everyone that would come across his path. It's possible that he could have become bitter toward God, Why did you give me this dream in the first place if this was all that was really in store for me? Instead, this simply becomes a stepping stone for the journey. If one day he were to find himself as a slave, well, that would be okay. He's already survived being thrown in a pit and possibly dying. He'll survive this too. If one day he were to find himself in a prison, well, that would be okay too. Because he's already survived the pit, he'll survive this too. My guess is that all of us have been in the pit at some point or another. We felt betrayed and hurt. We felt as if the dream were out of reach, and maybe it was out of reach, at least at that moment. But maybe being in the pit was simply what needed to take place in order for the dream to be fulfilled. Maybe in order for us to get from point A to point B, we will need to experience some really stinky stuff that we would never choose for ourselves. But maybe the dream is still possible. Joseph is sold as a slave, and he, he ends up in the house of a very powerful man named Potiphar. And even though he's a slave, it quickly becomes clear to Potiphar that Joseph was a man who was blessed. It's as if everything he touches seems to turn out well. But how can God's blessing rest upon a slave? I mean, if God were really blessing him, then shouldn't he be the slave master? I want you to know this is a lie that so many people have fallen into. It's called the prosperity gospel. It is the idea that if I faithfully serve the Lord, then I will know the blessing of God and the blessing of God is going to be great for me. I'm going to be wealthy, I'm going to be healthy and wise. And if I am not godly, then surely punishment will be what follows. I want you to know if that were true, then God would probably have to apologize to each of the apostles. Each of the apostles were incredibly faithful to the Lord. They were devoted to his work, yet they still had to go through so much hardship. They would experience persecution, and many even death, not prosperity. And in Joseph's case, he has done nothing to be worthy of such suffering. Sure, he was favored by his father, but that was on dad, not Joseph. In fact, it would appear that even in spite of the ugly position Joseph finds himself in, he would be unwavering in his integrity. As Joseph's story would progress, the blessing of God On Joseph would thrive even in Egypt. He becomes the head of Potiphar's household. Even as a slave, he commands everyone else that is there. I don't know if perhaps Potiphar's wife was just impressed with his this good-looking young man, or maybe she was drawn to the power which he wielded even in her own husband's household but she decides, I want to be with Joseph. What she does is she becomes a sexual temptation to him. Again, most of us know this story already. Joseph is devoted to the Lord, and she approaches him and says, I want to be with you. Joseph does, in my opinion, the, the absolute best thing he could have done. God has given him a dream. God has given him a calling. Joseph chooses not to yield to anything else. So, what does he do? Potiphar's wife approaches, I want to be with you. He doesn't sit there and play with the idea. He doesn't sit there and kind of entertain the thoughts. You know, this could be nice. I'm a slave. I'm never going to have the opportunity to have all these great things happen to me anyways. And you know, she is kind of attractive. Potiphar is a powerful man. He probably had attractive people around him. Maybe this could be a really good. No, that's not what Joseph does at all. Joseph turns and he runs. Joseph refuses to allow his integrity to be compromised in any way possible. Potiphar's wife, who was trying to seduce Joseph, is left literally holding his robe. He goes to run, and she grabs out, and she, she reaches out and grabs his robe. Joseph runs from this lady. The result is a scorned and vulnerable wife of Potiphar. She is likely offended at the fact that this slave would actually reject her advances. In addition, if she waits for Joseph to tell his side of the story, it might not work out so good for her. So she comes up with her own story about how he supposedly attacked her. And the result is more unjust suffering for Joseph. According to Genesis 39, verse 19 and 20, we read, "'When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master, Potiphar, took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So because he shared his dream with his brothers, because he was favored by his father, because his father had sent him to check on his ungodly brothers, Joseph was thrown into a pit and later sold as a slave. Now, for operating with strict integrity, even when it would have been easy to yield to a very enjoyable act of sin, he is thrown into a prison. Do you remember that dream? It seems so far away as a slave, but maybe not completely out of reach. Now, as a prisoner so you've, you've been knocked down the social ladder, you're a slave, but now you're no longer at that position, but you've been knocked down again, and now you're a prisoner. It would seem completely unavailable to him. And once again, you imagine the thought from Joseph, but this isn't fair. I hate to break this to you today, but life sometimes is not fair. You know, wherever Joseph ended up, though, whether he was a slave or a prisoner, God continued to bless him. And I imagine that he even developed some sort of reputation. You know Joseph the slave, or you know Joseph the prisoner, or in a more positive light, you know Joseph the man who's in charge, because he was in charge. All of those reputations would have been very accurate. Obviously, he's been a slave and now he is a prisoner, but he's also the man in charge. Just as God blessed him in Potiphar's house, God would bless him as a prisoner. And the result is that the prison warden would actually decide to put Joseph in charge of all of the other prisoners. It would seem that there were those who thought pretty highly of Joseph, but it's not what other people think that matters. It's who you are. Some people likely despised him because he was a slave or a prisoner. Others liked him because his presence seemed to bring them blessings. If things worked out well for him, his master or the prison warden would actually benefit from it as well. But it's not what other people think that matters. It is who you are. Joseph was a man of integrity, regardless of where he was. And who he was around. What about you? Are you a man or a woman of integrity? Sure, you can be here while you're at church. You can be that person of integrity here at church. Or maybe when you're with your spouse or your children. Sure, you can be that person of integrity when everything is going right in your life. But what about when everything begins to go south for you? Let me suggest to you that your integrity is not something that you put on and take off whenever it is convenient to you. It is something that you either have or you don't have. I suggest to you that if you have been living without the integrity of God, then it is time to put it on, but not so you can wear it for the day and then take it off and choose something different tomorrow. It is time for you to put on the integrity that comes with being a child of God and leave it on. And if God blesses you, then celebrate it. But if God still allows you to suffer and things continue to go in a negative way and you still have to deal with hardship and suffering, then you continue to be a man or a woman of integrity. Your integrity should not be negotiable just because of the current circumstance you find yourself in. In Joseph's case, he would not be forever abandoned to a pit. He would not be forever abandoned to be a slave, nor would he be forever abandoned to be in a prison. I'm not going to cover all the details of this redemptive story here, although it involves much of the remainder of the book of Genesis. Go back and read it if you want. We started in Genesis 37 today, and it basically, the rest of Genesis from that point forward is the story of Joseph. But Joseph's continued demonstration of integrity, wisdom, and God's blessing would eventually come to the attention of Pharaoh. And this Pharaoh would recognize that having someone like Joseph on his team was a pretty good idea. So he would appoint Joseph to a position of great importance. In fact, he would actually become the second most powerful figure in all of Egypt, only answering to Pharaoh himself. And listen to the words of Pharaoh as recorded in Genesis 41, 39 to 40. Pharaoh said to Joseph, "'Since God has made all this known to you, "'there is no one so discerning and wise as you. "'You shall be in charge of my palace.'" And all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. I want you to know that it is likely that Pharaoh knew what Joseph had been through already. He probably knew of what happened with Potiphar's wife. I told you that Potiphar was a man of great importance in in Egypt. It is likely that Pharaoh was very familiar with who Joseph was he probably knew about Joseph's time as a prisoner. By the time he makes this statement, Joseph has already had an interaction with Pharaoh and Joseph has been able to interpret a dream that no one else could interpret. In essence, Pharaoh knows all of these things, but in the story of Joseph, he has moved from the pit to the prison to the palace. Suddenly, those dreams that seemed so impossible for so long in his life, the things that once he was thrown into that pit, man, there's no way I'll ever be the person that I believed God had told me I would be. Then he became a slave. I'll never be the person God told me I would be. And then he becomes a prisoner. I forget about that dream. It's gone. Those dreams suddenly become reality. A great famine would devastate the region and everyone, including Joseph's brothers, would struggle for food. But they hear a rumor that there is food in Egypt. Thanks to God's blessing and the wisdom that Joseph shared, the people of Egypt apparently had all the food they needed. So Joseph's brothers come to Egypt looking for food. And they're the same people that they were the last time Joseph saw them. Not much appears to have changed, but Joseph has. Oh, there are some things that they've not changed at all. He is still that man of integrity. He is still that man who is devoted to the Lord regardless of what happens to him. He is the same person that he was before. But Joseph doesn't look like the same person that he was before. Joseph has been in Egypt so long that he speaks like the Egyptians. He dresses like the Egyptians. And when his brothers see him, they have no clue who he is. In fact, they likely thought him to be long dead by this point in his life. And so they bow before this Egyptian ruler, just as Joseph had dreamed so many years before how would he respond? I told you that Joseph has not changed, although his appearances may have changed. How would he respond? I mean, these are the same brothers who had betrayed him. They wanted to kill him. They sold him as a slave. They took him away from everything that he knew and loved. Maybe this would be his opportunity to get even with them, but no. Again, not going to share the whole story, but you can go back and read it on your own. What I will tell you is this just as Joseph was a man of integrity when everything was falling apart, he was still a man of integrity when everything was going great in his life, also. When he got out of prison, there's no suggestion that he took out his vengeance on Potiphar or Potiphar's wife. I mean, think about it. They unfairly imprisoned him, they deserved to be punished but he didn't. And when his brothers and when his brothers find themselves under his authority and Joseph could have ordered that they become slaves or be imprisoned or even be killed, Joseph makes a statement that is so important, displaying incredible wisdom, integrity, and grace. It's actually found later in the story Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. It's one of my favorite verses of Scripture. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Yes, what you did, your heart was evil, and what you did was wrong, and you deserve to be punished. But while you worked and selfishness and ugliness. God was using that to accomplish something great. If I were not here in Egypt, there's no way that I could have been in a position to rescue the people of Egypt. And guess what? I wouldn't have been here to rescue you. What you intended to cause harm, God intended to do good. Talk about a great redemption story. The once favored son has moved from blessing into suffering and back into an even greater blessing than he had before, all while maintaining his integrity, an integrity that flows from the presence of God. But I want to move back to the dream for just a moment. I suggest to you that opposition may derail your plans at times, but it cannot kill your God-given dreams. Listen to me, this was not just, it wasn't just Joseph's plans. Like he's growing up and he's thinking to himself, you know, one day I'm going to be great. I'm Not just going to be a farmer. I'm not just going to be like my brothers. They're losers. I want to be great. This was more than just Joseph's plan. This was God's dream that he had given to Joseph. And there is a difference. Many of us have plans, things that we've worked out in our minds that this is what I want to do. This is what I want to become. And I'm going to be great at it. Do you know that your plans are not the same as God's dreams? If it's just your plan, it becomes very fragile. Because honestly, you don't have the backing of the Lord behind it. But when it is God's dream and God's vision and his plan for your life, all these other things, they don't destroy the plan. They don't make it impossible, but rather they become stepping stones to get you where you really need to be. If God has a plan for your life, he can make it happen. Don't give up just because the road is hard. Trust that what God has promised, he will do. So I go back to where I began this morning. What is God's dream for your life? Does God have a plan for your life? Absolutely. Is it too late to accomplish that plan? Nope. And maybe it's been a long time. Maybe it's been a long, hard road. And maybe that dream has seemed so far away for you. Maybe, maybe we need to start looking to God and saying, God, what do you have for me? My guess is that every person in this room, when God created you, he had a plan for you. He knew what you would be like. He knew what you would experience. He knew the hardship that would come your way. He knew that there would be days that it would seem too hard for you, but he is faithful and he has walked with you all the way through this and he will continue to do so. Maybe it's time for us to say, God, what is your plan for me? I've been doing this for a long time. I'm 70, 80 years old. You mean God still has a plan for me? If you still have breath in you, the answer is yes. God still has a plan for you. Otherwise, he'll let you know it's time to come home. If you're still here, God still has a plan for you. Well, you'll allow him to work his plan out in you. I look back there. Billy Faye Harvey. She is the oldest member we have in the church. I'm not supposed to talk about a lady's age, but I will do so just for a moment, and I think she'll be okay with it. If you are still here, God has a plan for your life. It does not change just because you are the oldest person in the church. It does not change because of the fact that you've made other decisions along the way. God has a plan for you, otherwise you wouldn't still be here. If that's true for her, it is very much true for every other person in this room. Does God have a plan for you? Absolutely. I, I will challenge you with this, and this fits so much with everything that I've shared. As much as God has a plan for you, do you notice something that was unwavering in Joseph? I mentioned it a couple of times already. It was his integrity. He was a man that you could count on who he was. He was going to speak the truth. He was going to represent his God in everything that he said and did. Do you have that kind of integrity? Are you the type of individual that when people see you, they know you as a man or a woman of God because they have seen it lived out in you over and over again? If you do not yet have that integrity, it is time to put on the integrity that comes from being a child of God and leave it on. If you would bow your heads to me. Father, as we come before you, Lord, I, I do pray that you would make us a people that have incredible integrity, that we would be who we're supposed to be, that we would not try to live up to other people's expectations of us, but rather we would live up to your expectations of us. It would help us not to become self-righteous, but help us to be people who genuinely seek you with all that we have. Not okay with being like everyone else, but allowing us to be the people you called us to be. Allowing your righteousness to be in us and flow through us. Father, I do pray that you would give each of us a clear vision of what you have in store for us. I pray that each individual here, regardless of age, regardless of the choices that we've made in the past, Lord, I pray that you would make it clear to us what you desire to happen in us. Maybe sometimes that will include difficult days getting us from point A to point B. Lord, if that's what it takes to keep us in the center of your will, Lord, I invite, I invite your work in us. Lord, I pray that you would do mighty things that go beyond anything we could ever imagine. Lord, I pray that you would use us to accomplish your purposes. And we'll give you praise for what you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Some of you have had horrible things happen in your life. You've lost loved ones. You've lost jobs. You've lost friends. You have had sickness. You've had some really difficult days, and you may wonder, does any of this have anything to do with my relationship with the Lord? Is God really doing anything through this? And I declare to you today that he is. He can use your suffering to get you from point A to point B, just like he did for Joseph. Will you allow him to do whatever it takes to get you from point A to point B today? Such a blessing to have you with us. If you would, come back and join us for our service tonight, and it'll be a great time for us. I'll tell you already what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be talking about Joseph as a type of Christ. There is something about him. Actually, there are many things that are about him that are very similar to what we see in Christ, and we're going to be taking a look at that, and I invite you to come back for our service at 6 o'clock this evening. Thank you for being with us this morning, and go in peace. Peace. Emily Happy.